Crashes in. You know, it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you have chosen to tune in to DLC. Hey, are you one of our geeks who speak, making your voice heard by voting? If not, you can head over to vote.org and register to vote because gamers' voices deserve to be heard too. Now is the time. Get your name on the register. Vote in November. DLC is on the air, and welcome to your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Linode, made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which you spell with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, Slash nemesis. The guy who graciously gave up his time at the VMAs so Beyonce could go long. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. She killed it, though. So it was really, it was worth it. When MTV asked me about that, I was like, you know what? It's fine. I had a little thing planned. I was going to plug DLC subtly. But um, I, you know, I bowed down to Queen Bay. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need that kind of exposure on the VMAs. Uh, She's the one who really needs the exposure. So it was nice of you to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since she's put out an album that changed the music world entirely, along with a complete visual album to complement it. So uh-huh. it's we needed a little more Beyonce. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be a fun week. Uh, we're we're heading into the fall. There's going to be some big releases. We've got some big releases to talk about today, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week we're excited because once again, DLC stands for Divisions, Leagues, and Championships because we have the CMO of Out of the Park Developments and co-founder of Hit the Pass, the return of DLC's official sports game correspondent, Mr. Rich Grisham. Hey, Rich. What's up, guys? I am so excited to be back. I love the show. Have been a listener since day one, and you know, with your exploits, both you and Christian beforehand, this is always a huge thrill. So, thank you guys so much for having me here. It's gonna be oh, great. We love having you, and uh, yeah, you are now officially our go-to sports game guy. We got some big sports games came out this week. Madden hit this week. We got uh, NBA 2K coming up soon. We got uh, uh, 2K7, I should say. Uh, we've got FIFA rocking and rolling, so it's going to be fun. Christian and I don't talk enough about those kinds of games, so we're, la- we're glad to have you here to do that. Well, this is the time because they all come out within about 20 minutes of each other, too. So <laughs> right. there's nothing all year long, and then all of a sudden they're all here. Now, go get them. Uh, but we also, you know, Deus Ex, I've been playing a little of. We got, uh, we got lots of cool stuff to talk about, but let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, 5x5.tv. Excuse me, no, that's, I always do that. I always just go into autopilot. It's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, cool folks there. Lots of discussion this week, uh, mostly about worry, worry about Christian. There was some worry about his fragile love of, of No Man's Sky. <laughs> I uh, almost, I was almost broken this week, by the way. Almost, yeah. Um, but Rich, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, for me, this is easy because I love Nintendo. 
Uh, I love Nintendo not just for my own personal selfish reasons, because I happen to really just love their games, but also because uh, I have a nine-year-old son, and it's so nice to have a platform like Nintendo with the quality games that are also family-friendly. Like, there's plenty of games for kids, and there's but most games for kids tend to be pretty lousy. But Nintendo games, their first-party games, are you know legendary for their quality of games as opposed to just, you know, cutesy characters. So for me, the story of the week is when um, Reggie, uh, I won't try, I never get his last name right, so I'm not going to try this time. But when Reggie Phil-a-me. came out, yeah. Philemy, Philem, uh, something like that. You know, when he came out and was talking about um, how they are planning to position their next platform for launch and the difficulties that they faced with the Wii U coming off of the massive success of the Wii and how they have to do a better job communicating what the product is, um, how they have to do a better job of you know, getting people excited about it, and how they have to do a better job of having more quality games come out uh, at a better cadence. I mean, these are all things that sound obvious, but when you're in the business of doing this, obviously, if Nintendo struggles with it, anybody can struggle with it. So I found it interesting to read his comments and sort of you, there's some a, a bit of honesty and humility coming out that is, you know, Nintendo, not that they're not known for being dishonest or non humble, but it's kind of a little bit of a peek behind the rather, um, rather thick curtain. Of, uh, of intrigue that goes on between Nintendo's behind closed doors and, and with their fans. So that's that's my easy story of the week. Yeah, uh, new console, same refrain, I would say. My question to you, Rich, is do you think they're going to do it? Is is It seems, as you said, obvious, and it certainly seems like something they should have done for Wii U, and it should have been done for GameCube, and, and on and on. Uh, more games, more frequently... Listening to our, our 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 better job communicating and listening to our audience. Have they learned the lesson this time? Did we use sort of floppitude <laughs> make it uh, drive home that point for them? Is the NX going to be the corner turn that we think? Are we going to see more frequent releases? What do you think? I think very positively about this in every case. I think Nintendo learned a lot of hard lessons. You know, the, the industry has shifted so much. Um, I, I have faith that the combination of quality, that is their hallmark, and the painful lessons learned with the Wii U um, is going to ultimately pay off in a success. I don't think any device can have the sales number success that the Wii did in the market now. There's just too many things competing. I don't even mean video games. I just mean devices and and services and options in the ever-changing digital world. But I do believe that they are going to be successful with the NX because I believe that they're going to have And the reason I say that is because we don't hear anything from them right now. And we really haven't heard much from them other than Zelda at E3 for a long time, which means they are working like crazy to make sure that they do launch with great games and and a, a steady release, not just at launch, but also three months, six months, nine months. So I think all of those factors make me and maybe maybe I just love Nintendo so much. I'm I'm being naive, but I really think that. They know that this is sort of 
their last best chance to remain not just relevant, but a leader in the space. Yeah, it's funny, you know, uh, every time, Christian, every time you hear Nintendo say, well, this is the console where we're really going to embrace third parties. We got to get that third party support. This is the one where we'll really have third parties. Uh, in this this case, he's saying the actual quote from Reggie is pretty funny. He, he says, uh, as I verbalize them, they're really traditional lessons within the industry. You have to make sure people understand the concept, and you have to make sure you've got a great library of games. And when you do that, you tend to do well. So he's basically saying, as I'm saying this, it seems so obvious. Why haven't <laughs> we been doing this? Uh, do you, you know, fool me once, shame on. Who's, who's the shame on, Christian? That's my question. <laughs> Hopefully there's no shame this time. I mean, I wonder if it's the burden is on us, the consumer, to just – and you see posts like this and NeoGAF and Reddit or wherever. But if it really is just on us, the consumer, to know going into this that this is going to be the Nintendo machine. The games won't come out as quickly as we want them to. But the games that do come out, as few and far between as they are, will be excellent. And – and know that, and know that when you spend your 250 whatever it is, $400, that, that that's what you're getting. And if you go in with that mindset, do you leave pleased? Reggie has always been very awesome at talking and saying the right things, even when you're rolling your eyes at what he's saying because you don't believe it. But he says it, and he says it convincingly. And, you know, when the Wii U came out, I was at that press conference that was what one of nintendo's last e3 press conferences and he was out there touting how having mass effect on the wii u and batman on the wii u and these games that had come out a year or two ago on the other consoles was an awesome thing and you were like oh this is pretty cool finally mass effect on a nintendo console you knew in your heart of hearts you didn't care because you weren't going to replay it um, and who was going to start on mass effect 3 on on the wii u but he's been very effective at messaging and he's doing it again. So, you know, I, I really, really, really hope the NX is awesome and it fills a, a gaming need for me. But I think the smartest lesson to learn, and this applies to really any console, but I think Nintendo has proven what they are time and time again, is that they will be your Nintendo box. They will release excellent games and it will be agonizing to wait for them. <laughs> Do you guys think that if this really turns out to be that convergence device that we all expect it to be between mobile gaming and home gaming, that the convergence of those two software libraries will also make it feel like there are more games being released? You know, and what I'm saying is there are games that come out on the 3DS and there are games that come out on the Wii U. But if there's only one device that's getting both of those games maybe it will feel like, oh, wow, there's really a lot of stuff coming out for this new NX thing. Is that a, a, a glimmer of hope, Rich, you think? Oh, I totally think so. And I also think that the kinds of games that Nintendo realizes they can make are different than they were making even two or three years ago, right? Like Pokemon Go is a great example of how a you know beloved now granted it, nintendo doesn't own pokemon but obviously it's it's closely associated with and they have a financial interest in it you know the success of pokemon go is a clear indicator that you can do new and and different things and the fact that this device is going to have some mobility in it i think also not just combining sort of the 3DS and, and Wii U titles, for example, on a single one that along with new and different ways to to implement it gives it a great a great shot at that. I, I think that they are going to offer experiences that can only be held 
um, on their platform. And I think that, too, uh, you know, you see it certainly in sports games. Like, there's a lot less sports games than there used to be, but the games that are there are so big and offer so much depth that you don't need as much volume Mm -hmm. of titles as long as what you do have – you can really get a lot out of it. So I think that also is going gonna, is gonna to play into their hand pretty strongly here. The other quote that Reggie ha- says here in this, uh, it was an interview with uh, a Daily List. He says, uh, we have to do a better job communicating the positioning for the product. We have to do a better job helping people to understand its uniqueness and what that means for the game playing experience. Certainly that underscores the fact that this is going to continue the Nintendo trend of being unique. It's not going to just be another console like the Xbox or PlayStation. And, you know, that can really work against them in a lot of ways because that's the same situation you get yourself in where you have to convince third parties that you can't just port your games from the PC and the Xbox and the PlayStation to this thing. You really have to design for it. But if they're, you know, if they're, I think we're all hopeful that they're ramping up and that this very quiet period means that everything on Wii U was moved over to NX rather early and that they have a pipeline that's kind of kind of stocked right now, we're all hoping. And it remains to be seen. I think the it's it's going to be interesting to see when they announce the official uh, NX, whatever it's going to be called, and how they announce it. It'll be a very interesting process. I'm hoping before the end of the year we at least get an official announcement of it. I'm curious, Jeff, in, in your opinion you know, what games this thing needs to launch, or what games need to come out during this console's life cycle. And let's make it a shorter one, or a prior to Xbox 360 PS3 gen. Like, let's make it that five-year life cycle. You know, what franchises need to hit it to make it a success? Because I would argue the Wii U, aside from a Metroid game that won people over, the Wii U had Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, which was incredible, Mario 3D World, which was incredible, um, it hasn't yeah. had a Zelda. Mario That's 3D annoying. World was uh, 3DS, right? 3D Land was 3DS. I think 3D World was the Wii U. Okay, I believe if I have that, it's something like that. Which was, uh, so they, they didn't have they didn't have a Zelda, but we were promised one from years ago, right? Like the the, yeah. the well, promise it had a, was there. It had a Wind Waker remake. Well, it had a bunch of AD, HD ports that were well done. Um, it had. Uh, new new IP. It had an amazing Smash Brothers, one of the better, if not, you know, best Smash Brothers. I mean, everybody will always love their personal yeah. favorite Smash Brothers. Mario Kart. An incredible Mario Kart. Yeah. Splat- Splatoon, which was a yeah. new IP that was beloved by everyone. And I would um, say the definitive Mario game is Mario Maker. I mean, it's kind yes. of a Mario game to end all Mario games. Absolutely. Right. Mario Maker and Star Fox, which wasn't, you know, great by all accounts, but also I think was kind of what that franchise is. Um, And I'm curious, like, I I think it's easy to bag on Nintendo. Hello, I raised my hand. Um, But, you know, would we have wanted all of those games out in the first year of the Wii U? Oh, and also it had new Super Mario Brothers U, which was a fair, I mean, by this point, it was like the nth version of that new Super Mario Brothers um, type game. But it had a lot of these great franchises come out in addition with new Nintendo IP that people always clamor for coming out. And by all accounts, all of these games are very well reviewed and very well loved. And it, it wasn't enough. And I, so I wonder, does well, the NX come out with Zelda, Metroid, Nintendo launching on 
for six months, and then what happens? Jeff? I, like, what I don't mean? think that it's not just that those those franchises weren't enough. I, I think they they came out, you know, they came out sort of like one a year, which is weird. I know you listed a whole bunch in it, and mathematically it doesn't work that they were one a year, but it certainly felt like one a year, didn't it? Like, you know, the one that was coming out at Christmas was this one. You know, last Christmas we got Star Fox, and that's it. It it it, it felt like a big chasm between the releases, but I don't even think that was the biggest problem. I truly believe. And, and I think Reggie hits on it here in his quote. I truly believe the biggest problem with the Wii U is, other than Mario Maker, no one understood how to use that that pad controller. And it was unwieldy and weird, and there was literally no justification for it in any game other than Mario Maker. And... So I think ultimately that it didn't have a sense of identity. The console itself didn't – there was nothing cool about it because it didn't have any identity. And, and the games that were coming out for it didn't express, as he says, the uniqueness of the console and why it was interesting in any way other than Mario Maker. And Mario Maker was relatively late. So I think what the challenge for the NX, if it continues to be, as they say, a unique console – uh, taken against the, you know, the backdrop of all these other consoles we've got, is explain to me why this is cool. And if what's cool about it is that I can take my games on the go and then plug them in at home and it's a seamless experience, I think the Zelda we're looking at, which is a much bigger, much more time-consuming experience, speaks to that in a really powerful way. But I think that all of the games that they have in the pipeline, I hope, speak to that Bring it with you. Keep playing it. There is stuff to do. It's not just a sit-at-home experience. And and if they do that and they express that well and they make that kind of unprecedented, seamless, home and portable thing cool-sounding, I think they will have a hit. I, I agree. And I think the other thing is, and I'm, I'm sure you guys are similar to me, there are certain games that I play on my 3DS that I would never play at home. Like I love Fire Emblem, uh, and Fire Emblem Awakening is one of my favorite games ever. And for whatever reason, I just I don't like playing that on my TV in my house. But man, when I'm on the go, I'm firing that thing up and I'm all over it. Whereas I love playing Mario Maker at my house on the big TV, where my son and I are challenging each other to 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 you know to can you get through this? Oh well, wait till you see this, right? And so the convergence of those two. I think has the potential to be brilliant in a way that we haven't seen. And we certainly don't see with mobile games. There are beautiful mobile games, but very few, um, you know, in the, in the traditional sort of iOS Android space have that same carryover to where you could see yourself playing it in multiple types of ways. That's my fear though, Rich, to some extent. And I think Jeff, you asked the question earlier, if the one, if, you know, they kind of abandon a dedicated handheld for this thing, and will we see more games from it? My f- my fear is we won't, and it's because you can't just play Fire Emblem and blow up the resolution 4x. I mean, heck, look at get find the the iOS app that's not also iPad supported and put it up on an iPad and hit like the 2x button or whatever you know to have yeah. it fill the screen. Yep. It looks awful. Like who would want to do that to take Fire Emblem and turn it onto their 4K TV? Or whatever it is, like, is it going to have like the old? Um, what was the, the thing's awesome? The GameCube Game Boy Advance player, where it like adds a border around it, and it's like here you get a fourth of your screen because you're playing this thing. But look, here's a cute Donkey Kong border. I, I, my fear is that because 
it will need to be scaled up to some version of an HD something or other. We're not going to see the same type of what I would call quick and dirty games that are great, you know, great fun on the 3DS and work really well on that screen. Like, I don't know if we're going to get eight Professor Laytons on this thing that needs to be able to have a 1080p 30 frames per second version. I'm just not sure. Well, it remains to be seen. We'll have to we'll have to uh, stay tuned to find out more. But I, you know, I hopefully he learned those lessons, and it is an interesting uh, series of comments. Christian, what is your story of the week? Man, so I've talked about No Man's Sky a lot. How I enjoy the game, and this week was almost the week that I said, "Forget you when you're walking down the street and your girlfriend and whatever CeeLo Green forget you." Because um, everybody, everybody, and literally, and their mom. Um, was, was tweeting me this this Reddit account of it doesn't save it doesn't save your discoveries it doesn't it saves your planet name and your solar system or your system name but that's it all the animals and plants you find it doesn't save them and I was heartbroken because while I didn't expect anyone to find my stuff that's kind of the fun of it for me is naming stuff and just spending my time being meticulous and wandering around planet recipes and naming everything and if I was doing all of that and it wasn't saved um that makes me sad and then it turned out that wasn't true so i i had the, my, my story of the week is just hold your horses internet on on reporting things and i get it i get getting excited about this stuff where it's oh my god did you see this did you see this and it seemed like this reddit post was you know pretty thorough it wasn't like my mom's uncle's cousin told me this like this person seemed to put in the legwork but then you know every site seemed to pick up on this too and maybe this is just video games example of journalism is dead. It's just first, everything is first impressions. Um, But I was almost broken on No Man's Sky. And then I'm glad I waited, you know, the 10 minutes for the internet to sort itself out. Actually, it was longer than that. It was almost a full day, I feel like, before this was proven to be false. And I... Whew, that was a roller coaster, Jeff. That was a roller coaster. Yeah, the, basically what happened was this Redditor had traveled the galaxy, named a bunch of stuff on his planet, and then returned to his home planet, the starting planet, and wandered around and saw that nothing was named. And he was like, but I named all these dudes. I remember that guy with the googly eyes with the peggy legs. I remember him. I named him Google Eye Peg Leg Guy. Um, and, of course, took to the internet and said, the lies! Oh, the no man's lies! It's so... There's so many more of them! And the internet went, yes, of course, all the lies! And then all the websites picked it up and posted their story about Redditor reports, you, everything is wiped after two days. The It's lies! And then, of course, he was like, oh, no, I wasn't... I wasn't attached to the internet, so there was, I wasn't downloading any of the... I was I was not attached to the servers, so of course I didn't have any of that data that I uploaded to the servers because I was my internet wasn't attached. <laughs> Guys, hilarious! Uh, and then all of the websites kept their stories up and added the little update. Not of any of this is true. I think an interesting context to put this in this discussion that we're having is: is that what we want? Do we want leap to story redditor reports? And then update on story? What do you think, Rich? Is that good? Do we want that? No. We do not want that. <laughs> no. No, it is not good. And it's, you know, it, it just places into raw relief the difficulties of trying to be in the media 
in 2016, right? It's not just video games. It's sports. It's politics. It's heck. It's even weather. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's so difficult to try to attract attention and get the eyeballs and generate comments and get the page counts. Like it, it's so difficult. I it, it's I don't envy any of these media outlets. Um, granted. Right, that's what they've chosen to do. Right, so it's all like, oh, woe is me. Like, okay, you're in the media, you have to, you have to do it. Like that, that's the the choice that you're making. But no, it's not, and it doesn't serve anybody well. And frankly, it makes kind of everybody involved in this look bad. And that that's really the, the problem. Because do we really need to to know? Do did I mean look? Christian still hasn't left his home planet. Does he need to know that somebody else somewhere had a problem with his game? No, he should be worrying about getting off his own planet. He doesn't need to know right this second that some other guy somewhere might have had a problem somewhere. So now it's definitely a sort of a sign of the times and the struggles that so many outlets have with what is news? How do we report it? How do we vet it? How do we source it? All those kinds of things. Yeah, that's the, that's the real issue for me is – you know, what's the difference between a news site and a blog site? There's, there was a time when uh, the news story wouldn't be news item. This guy says X. It would be, hey, we got report that this guy said X. So let's go do some uh, independent research on our own and before we put anything on our on our in our news publication about it. So let's confirm or not, you know, let's prove it to be true or false on our own, corroborate the story or disprove the story on our own, because that's what we do before we report. Some guy said, uh, but now the new story is some guy said, and that's the extent of it. We will post the thing the guy said, and then the crowdsource will crowdsource and figure out whether that's true or not. And that sucks, but it's also like half of these websites are run by two people and they don't have the resources to go and double check things. But, you know, also Polygon is a big website and Polygon had, did the same thing. Guy on Reddit reports and then two days later, update. Nah, none of that was the case. Actually, all of that fervor was over literally nothing. The guy just didn't plug his console into the Internet. So he's an idiot. Uh <laughs> that's that's not news that's not news and um well the hard part the, is what i think i think rich had a you know a fair point too that is this is bigger than video games this style of air quote reporting but i think the issue is i would argue it is news that guy did this but is the, it? It, that is that is that is news Idiot it is, didn't plug into the internet is news well that's what he discovered later but it well, is but- Right, because if he wasn't an idiot, he would never have posted that thing on Reddit. So any old moron can post any old thing on Reddit. Like, hey, I just woke up and my Xbox my Xbox broke instantly. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't plugged into the wall. <laughs> so we should report on the fact that my X- Xbox One's – guy reports Xbox One's break. It's, it's like, what? It's, it, not a, it's not a thing. You have to corroborate the story before you post it. I, I agree with you. In an ideal world, that's what we would do. Um, Louis C.K., oh, I'm trying to remember the podcast. Um, you know, he talks about, he, he put it succinctly, how we live in a click economy. And that's what people care about. Not the story that they're putting out. The person who's writing it doesn't hate you. They don't love you. They don't whatever. They probably don't like their job and they're writing a thing to get clicks. And that's all that anyone cares about. But 
you know, are we fueling the machine? Again, it's kind of like the Nintendo, what I was saying about Nintendo. To what extent is the burden on us? When Polygon or, you know, pick your website, Destructoid or whomever, right? Like they did not write no man's sky does not save this stuff it's it, they, they said in there a guy says you know here's the reddit a, a guy on reddit finds this blah 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 but then we read that and say omg it's not doing it instead of none of us you know how few of us read that and said oh well this one guy said that hmm i wonder if that's true or how many people saw that story and that Reddit story and tweeted it to me saying, oh, my God, sorry, Christian, sucks to right. be you. And I read it and said, oh, my God, sucks to be me. This because is the worst. on the Internet, all voices have equal weight. And that and that's really the problem. But why couldn't have we have read it and said, like, oh, this happened to one guy. Is this real? Let me wait a bit. Because all voices have equal weight on the Internet. And every site was reporting this dude it said this thing and – sounds like the kind of thing we expect to be true because wow this game isn't what we expected it to be and so yeah there's another here's another example um it plays into a narrative that's already been established it's i mean again this is a much bigger problem than just video games as we've said but it it points to how depressing the state of information dispersal is in our modern culture well, many people have told me that that's the problem, and the problem is also how we respond to it. it you know, we are just as guilty of gobbling all of this stuff up and and retweeting it and and doing whatever. Uh, I think it was a New York uh, New Yorker cartoon that said uh, uh, it was like someone interviewing or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, you're here to be a, a journalist," and the I'm here for the journalist, whatever. I forget how it goes, but something like that. The journalist position, and the boss was like, "Great, how quickly can you compile a list of tweets?" <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How good are you at reading Twitter? <laughs> it's just like, so sad. you know, how many times do you see that? There's probably one right now for the VMAs that's out there where it's like the VMAs were crazy. And then it has like a list of 10 people's tweets, like the number of times that I guess technically I could argue I was quote unquote published by sources like the New York Times or uh, USA Today or, you know, pick your newspaper when it's just like one of my dumb tweets about some event that was happening like it's you know what a crappy article but we we gobble that up and i don't know this is a longer discussion that's neither here nor there do i wish that you know polygon or destructoid or reddit you know reddit detectives would have solved this problem before it became overblown sure but do i also share in that burden for reading this one redditor's report and getting myself worked up over one person's account yeah that's also that's also on me by the way i should say that i have a refunded no man's sky via steam though because i hate that game <laughs> i'm kidding i have not i have it's not like a, this guy i never even got off my home planet this game's dumb <laughs> as far as i can tell there are no other planets <laughs> um i mean there is you you're touching upon another issue that came up this week about a bunch of people you know uh refunding the game and all these news stories about how concurrent plays on Steam have drastically dropped. There's a Ben Kuchera, friend of the show, Ben Kuchera on uh, on Polygon wrote a, a op-ed piece about the fact that he really thinks that Hello Games and Sony, their silence has contributed to some of this stuff because they're not really communicating anything in any way. Is there any culpability there? Do they, is there an onus on them to when somebody's like, hey? There's a bunch of news things about this idiot who 
didn't see his planets named, should they come out with a statement and be like, no, uh, it's probably his user error because all the planets, we save them and they don't get wiped. So don't be stupid. Is the onus on them or, I mean, like just responding to these stupid allegations from anybody a waste of their time? Well, from my perspective, I think that's why you have certain roles in companies. That's why you have, for example, you know, even out of the park, right? We have community managers for each of our games. And yeah. and their job is to be in the forums and be on Facebook and be on Twitter, like in, in our accounts, to interact with each of the fans. And when they have issues, to direct them to the right place. Or when they've got interesting things to say, to, you know, retweet them or or talk to them on Facebook and and in the forums, you know, we don't have the capability at Out of the Park to respond to everything sort of corporately, um, nor do I think that, you know, Sony or, or Hello Games should have to do that at a corporate level because if once you sort of start that, then you really just, you have to commit to just doing that all the time. And I think, especially when you get to a game that's being played by hundreds of thousands of people, it becomes completely unmanageable. So I think there's, there's a degree of that that has to happen at the community management role, but I don't think it, it goes higher than that. And, and I'm talking about, you know, individual issues and reports. If you're talking about, okay, what's the roadmap for the game for the next year, you know, or what are the the DLC packs that are coming out or, you know, what, what, you know, what, what are our big plans? That's a different thing altogether. But, you know, that's why you have community managers in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's a very, very valid point. Um, Hello Games needs like a hyperbole squasher or something. They need, they need a Reggie. Yeah. Well, they really need Mark for marketing. I mean, that guy's yeah. taught me everything I know. If you just put him in there, I think a lot of these problems just go away. He's oh, good. really? Because he's had a resume sitting at your company's uh, email inbox that no one has gotten back to, Rich. <laughs> well, I would love that if I sent an email from Mark from marketing. <laughs> like, you may know me from, and I have, like, timestamps from when I did the character on this show. <laughs> Experience. Episode 114, from 4 minutes to 4 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> Um, as far as my story of the week goes, uh, there it's, it's, it's not a great week for stories. I, my favorite story of the week, because I have a horrible heroes of the storm addiction is the fact that heroes of the storm is getting an MVP system like overwatch has, which I think is a really, really positive thing. Players of overwatch know that at the end of every match, uh, the game shows a like a highlight of somebody that did something cool in the match and then allows everybody to upvote certain players for doing cool things. It shows, you know, picks out, what, four players or five players from the match and uh, everybody who played in the match gets to vote for somebody, give them a little, like, gold star for doing, you know, upvoting them for uh, for contributing or being cool. It gives a little stat for something they did that was impressive. And then... Uh, you know, if you get enough upvotes, you get like a even bigger gold star. You get a designation of being legendary or whatever. Uh, and this is coming to a MOBA. This is coming to Heroes of the Storm, uh, the game that I, I can't stop playing. And um, I I like that. I like that it's coming. I think it's cool. There's going to be fun little designations that, that represent whether you've done certain things really, really well. You'll get a cool and, – and ultimately – they don't mean anything. It's just a kind of a fun, positive reinforcement. But that's kind of why I want to talk about this story. Because we've seen a, a lot of punitive 
ways to deal with um, toxic communities. But I suspect, I mean, you guys can speak more. I mean, I don't know, Rich, if you play Overwatch as much as, as Christian does, but I don't play Overwatch a ton. But I suspect that positive reinforcement will have a greater effect, a more uh, effective way of squashing people's negativity in the course of a match than just banning people for saying awful things. Because up to this point, Heroes of the Storm has only been, you could report people for bad behavior, and if they get enough reports, they get silenced. Uh, <laughs> but That sounds so much more ominous than it. <laughs> they do, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, honestly, I think rewarding good behavior may actually be more effective. I think psychologically we, we find that to be the case, uh, you know, just in life. But what do you guys think? Is this a good idea? Rich, what do you think? Oh, I absolutely do. One of the one of the reasons that I even consider Overwatch uh, over pretty much any other game like it is because, you know, the people that I listen to in the gaming community t- that talk about Overwatch don't play games like it. And they play Overwatch because it is positive. You know, I'm I'm not a, a particularly good at shooters anymore. I was probably 15 years ago. Um, you know, but the the ability to play a game, not be great at it, and get told, "Hey, nice job, way to go! You helped us out here. Keep it up. Do it again." You know, it sounds <laughs> it's kind of like going back to the Reggie. Like when you say it out loud, it's like, "Well, duh!" But that's <laughs> not how so many of the ways that that games have trained us to behave uh, have have done it. So I, you know, I think I think it's really positive trend and it makes me really happy that overwatch has seen success by enforcing positive feedback as opposed to it now you know this is the internet right you're not gonna just automatically well let's just be positive and all our problems go away but it's a creative way to deal with a problem that you know and you guys are parents right like you know one of the things that i sort of in the back of my mind as my son gets older and i have less direct control on the kind of experiences that he gets in the video game world like i really hope that he doesn't get as immersed in some of the toxic communities, but you know is able to sort of find more positive places. So this just even gives me hope that you know if this is successful, these kind of things will be replicated by more and more types of platforms. Christian, in your experience playing Overwatch, are you running into a lot of toxic chat and stuff like that, or not? No, I'm I'm not I'm not. Uh making my my me there's a saying i can't uh guys i'll be honest i have 20 minutes left of the last episode of night of and i stopped watching to do this show <laughs> so all your mind is thinking about is that yeah um I'm, i don't i i swear to you i do not have it up on my computer anymore though or on the tv it is turned off um <laughs> uh, struggling you're struggling through this one it is um i got an itch i can't scratch you know what i'm saying i don't even have chop- i got it's I, the PC community. I'm not in ranked, so I'm not I'm not making my life my living oh, in, in, well, in ranked. That's really where the toxicity lands. I think it is it is more common there. Um, it's also easy to turn off chat on the PC very quickly <laughs> between matches. But I found that Overwatch isn't that toxic, and 
I, I don't I think this MVP system in Heroes of the Storm is a is a good good ad and like Rich said, um which by the way, Rich, upvote for your comment. I agree with it. This is like around the horn now. We just that's what this is, right? You just it's only a positive version of around the horn. You just ping people when they say good things and that's <laughs> how you do it. Um it it's smart and I think it should be included in in the game. I do find that uh people aren't the best at it in Overwatch though, where clearly uh, you need like five to get the the nice little sound and ding ding commendation or whatever it is. Um, and, and it's like clearly one person deserves it, and but no one clicks on them. I don't know if they're not paying attention because it's between matches and everyone's checking Twitter, or you're just not going to click on the person on the other team who blocked a hundred percent of team damage, right? Where you're just like that Reinhardt owned. Everybody needs to give that person props, and they don't, and that's frustrating when you're just like click on me, click on me. Look at look at what I did. Just look click on me. Look up here. Click, look click up here. here. And, yeah. But it is, it, it's a shift I think we're seeing in gaming where, you know, giving props to other people or um, playing a role other than kill death is becoming something that you want to recognize and support because that breeds longevity in the community. Whereas before it used to just be get good. And yeah. that's that's what kept the games with legs was, you know, you're you're prestiging it, you're leveling up, you're getting better, you're getting better, it's kill death, you're show, you're sharing your headshots or your trick kills, and it was just like, oh, you can't hang with me, you gotta get good. But now it, you're seeing, hey, this was fun, let's keep having fun, you did a good job too, buddy, let's keep playing this game. And I like that. I should point out that the chat room today has been phenomenal. I have many times I wanted to reference stuff that's been going on. Really, really interesting discussion happening in the in the chat room. But uh, in particular, right now, Pixelated Soul says, Last night I played Mercy and got play of the game, and the entire team was saying to vote healer. It's moments like that that I keep going back to Overwatch. So that's cool, man. I love that. But positive reinforcement goes a long, long way, and I hope that it has that kind of effect in uh, Here's the Storm, because I even find myself getting very frustrated with people. I've talked about it before on the show. Um, so hopefully keeping your mind on, like, the good things and reinforcing the good things, I think is it might be just a mental shift that it could have a big effect, I hope. Um, you know, I was going to bring up this whole Dead or Alive Extreme 3 pervy VR mode thing, but I don't even want to talk about it. It's so gross. It's, did you guys see this? It's so gross. Um, it's the worst part of VR. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about it. We're going to move on. We're gonna go, we got games to talk about. Let's yeah. talk about games. Uh, but first, I do want to thank our sponsor, uh, Linode. You've heard me talk about Linode before. Linode is a... Uh, Hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now Linode offers 2 gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. And over 400,000 customers use Linode, including 5x5. All the infrastructure here is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today. You'll support the show. And if you use promo code 5x5, you'll get a $10 check, uh, credit uh, at checkout. So check it out. linode.com slash 5x5. Simple, powerful, Reliable. Ooh, what you playing this week? It's 
Uh, Rich, you are here. It is Madden week. Yeah. It was last week, I should say. Yeah. Uh, I heard this Madden's a good Madden. It is. It's kind of universally being hailed as a really good Madden. It's funny. On last week's Press Row podcast, we had the uh, the review roundtable. We had the reviewers from IGN, Polygon, US Gamer, Sporting News, Operation Sports, all on the show. And to a person... They were listing a whole bunch of different things that they all particularly liked about this year. Uh, you know, if you're one of those really long-time core Madden X's and O players, there's a bunch in there that you'll like. Things like gap assignments, right, and read zones, words that don't make sense to a whole lot of people outside of that world. But in that community has been received very positively. Um, you know, if you're Jeff Kanata, you're going to be really happy to hear that there's a brand new commentary team that does not include Phil Sims. <laughs> hey, I am Jeff Kanata. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Jeff, did you hear? Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> Macaline, pass to him. Do it. Get him. <laughs> oh, you had to have the obligatory Sims, uh, uh, Sims thing there. That's good. Uh-huh. Um, and what's also interesting about the commentary is they've, they, instead of trying to find like another NFL you know, game day duo from CBS or NBC or something like that. What they've done is they've actually gotten a couple of sort of local guys, college football guys, and they're not only um, having them, you know, sort of build the new commentary from scratch, but they're even bringing them in, bringing them in every week and recording updated commentary. So when you play an online game, you're going to hear about how, like at the Ravens game, they stopped the game and put Michael Phelps up on, on the big screen during the Olympics. So they're doing some interesting things in the commentary. So a lot of people have had issues with commentary for years, so they like that. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting situation with Madden. And with EA Sports, Madden and FIFA are the two flagship sports franchises. And they're in very different places. With Madden... It's very much the culmination of a three-year plan, right? Like this year's Madden, if you just boot it up and start playing, it doesn't look significantly different than last year or even the year before. There's a lot more that's happening. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mislead anybody. There's a lot more happening, and it's a and it's a better game. But it's very much about this year has been about fine-tuning and introducing some new tweaks and and some new concepts to a very sort of a familiar formula. Whereas with FIFA, which is coming out in a few weeks. They are moved to a completely new engine, right? They're going frostbite. And, you know, you talk about a game like FIFA, putting it on top of a new engine is a massive undertaking. And in addition to that, they're introducing a completely new single-player story mode, which is, you know, following the, the, the story of a young English footballer as he tries to make his way up into the Premier League. So you've got these two flagship franchises at very different places. And I think Madden this year is really going to be that game that if you haven't played Madden in a few years, you're going to be like, wow, this is a really solid game of football. But you're not going to go, wow, this is completely different than something I played a few years ago. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you've been playing Madden every year like me, you're going to be like, hey, this is really good. I like it. And I can't wait for my online league to start in a couple of weeks because that's, you know, how I play the game. Uh, Whereas with FIFA, they're really going for – like, they want to really knock your socks off with this game looks really different and we have new ways for people to play the game. And I think what we're going to see from Madden next year is much more of, of that. So this year is 
really solid in a lot of ways, very traditional in a lot of ways. It has some new flavors and things like that. But really what it comes down to with Madden, it's really two games in one. It's Madden Ultimate Team and everything else. And they the, the communities are different. The gameplay is different. The way that you experience the game is completely different. And they've done a nice job of of making sure that Ultimate Team players get a lot out of it, but also that people like me who aren't Ultimate Team players, I like to play my franchise with my friends, they've served us well too. So it's a really solid title, but it's mature, and it'll be fascinating to see it compared to the reaction of, of FIFA, you know, which has really taken major steps forward this year. But you're predicting that next year's Madden will be that sort of big um, engine-level leap? that you saw with FIFA? Is that what you, did I hear you say that right? Yeah, because FIFA is the leader, right? I mean, FIFA is the game for EA, right? If mm-hmm. they had no, if, if, you know, if, if, if they had to be like, okay, we can only make, in the sports world, anyway, we can only make one game anymore, what's it going to be? It would be FIFA, right? FIFA just worldwide dominates it. Their ultimate team is a huge moneymaker. Madden does very well for them, but it's not at the level of FIFA with the sales or the revenue generation. You know, it's more limited, right? And it's a more complicated game. Like soccer is an easy game to understand, right? I kick the ball, I kick the ball, I kick the ball, I score. Football is like, Wait, it's third and nine. There's a zone blitz coming. Should I do a play action or should you know? I mean, like it's just it's a completely different world. So, but FIFA is the leader, and FIFA is a leading indicator of where I think EA is going with all of their games. And I think over the course of the next two or three years, you will see all of their games move to the Frostbite engine. And I believe you'll see all of their games introduce some way to play the game that is more welcoming to somebody who doesn't really who is not comfortable just jumping into experience that sort of assumes you know everything about it like even fifa like i'm a big international football fan but i've only really been into it for about four or five years from when i went to england and really sort of got indoctrinated into it so for me if i wasn't into international football i would be excited about fifa this year because wait a second i can play a story game and i can sort of i can i can play fifa without having to know what the transfer window is if I pick my uh, Everton club and, and I got to figure out how to buy and sell players. Like it, mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's, that's where all of these games are going to a degree. There will be variations, but I think you're going to see the next two or three years, that's where all of EA's games head. Christian, you played a little of Madden 17 as well, right? Yeah, I am a EA Access subscriber, and you can play up to 10 hours of Madden 17 via EA Access. If you're curious about it, I... You know, I highly recommend EA Access. I pay for it with my own money, and I think I get value from it. It's the perfect 10 hours of Madden. Seems like it's going to be the perfect amount of time for me, and to get that for, you know, whatever it ends up being. I think I bought the year, so it's like, what, $3 a month or something? Totally worth it. Um, so I, I'm playing via EA Access. I've maybe, I don't know, maybe played three hours or so. You can see um, the first, I play two games. It's on my Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer, and then the YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713. I have the streams archived there. And I, I am the person that, you know, I have not played Madden seriously since like GameCube, OG Xbox, that era. So it's been a while. Uh, I enjoy watching football, but I am not the most knowledgeable person. Like I, I watch it and I understand the basics, but I'm not like, oh, it's third down. They're going to throw in a nickel package because it's going to do this. Like, I, I don't I don't get that kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like Madden had largely passed me by, but I knew we were having Rich on and I wanted to dive in and check it out. And EA Access made that easy to do. It uh, it looks great. 
it really it really looks great. It still has some of those like wonky animations and and weird issues. Like the sidelines still look awful. I guess they feel like they need to put cameramen on the sidelines for some reason but there's like one there's like one person with like a you know a 5d or something like <laughs> sitting in the back corner and this person just looks like they're straight out of a ps2 game but and the coaches look weird their faces look highly accurate but their bodies still look like and eh, no one cares about this um but like the on-field play and the replays you know it was doing some like um in-game instant replay like packages the way that actual NFL games do like mid game highlight package. And some of that stuff, I feel like if my wife or daughters walked by, they would have, you just kind of glance. It looks true to life when you're playing the game. Of course it doesn't because the camera position is, is different, but I think it's interesting what Rich was talking about, you know, in terms of learning the game or, or getting these games more appealing for more people. So I boot up Madden 17 and you know, the first thing it, it does is it loads you into this um, dream uh, scenario kind of thing where you're the Rams back in LA and I think you're playing a wild card game against the Redskins and the announcers are you know talking about how it's been a storybook season back in LA can they complete the miracle and uh, something happens and you have the ball and you got like two minutes to win the thing and the pressure's on and this is so unbelievable and I, this is the first thing it loads you into I haven't played a Madden in probably six years or whatever it is I I don't know what I'm doing and it's like <laughs> It's so cool, I'm sure, if you pull it off, but I got sacked like two times and then ran it up the middle and then threw an incompletion. Well, the Rams really dropped the ball on that one. It is. They they lay it on you. They're like, oh, man, wow, a storybook season comes to a crashing halt. What a disappointment. It's almost as if they forgot how to play the game of football. Seriously. And I was like, man, this is like so anticlimactic. And then, you know, you can see this in in the stream. This is the stuff I streamed and then like the first two games. I'm like, well, it's been a while. Let me jump into training. Let me, you know, get reacclimated with this and, and see what's going on. And then you go into the training, and the training is the most basic stuff where it's literally run to this circle. Like, use the left stick to run to a circle. Great. Now do that five more times. And I'm just like, come on. Like, there's this weird thing of, and I don't, I don't have the answer, but it's like how basic and easy of a thing do they make it versus how complicated, you know, whatever we're just talking about, filling the, the gap or, you know, whatever. Like uh, you can now take gap assignment in the hole and do whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand that concept in football thoroughly enough to understand how to do it in a video game, but I know how to move my guy into a circle. And it, it's really, it's really weird. So then I played on rookie, the easiest difficulty for the first two games. And the first one I won, I think seven zero, and then the second one I I won big because I kind of was getting, I was playing as the Texans, holla, um, getting the handle of it, hang of it a little bit better. But I think that is the challenge that that all video games. I talk about this too for Titanfall two, where that training is kind of the same thing, where it's like pick up a gun, great. Now you've got it. Get out there and give them hell, soldier. And you're just like, no, dude, I'm not going to give anyone hell if all I learned how to do is pick up a gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, it's interesting. You know, the, the chat room has had a really interesting discussion this whole time about the sort of loss of the arcade football game or the arcade sports game. Well, I'll call them on that, though. Why we still have those? They made an excellent NFL blitz last year, and no one except for me and my friend Daniel from college gave two clicks about they, it they literally sold two copies of that game very few and they made an excellent nba jam last gen too an excellent nba jam and i had a hard time getting online games well rich my question to you is you know as madden has become more and more of a simulation of real football 
are people, you know, you are very tied into that and, and you play with a lot of people that are very tied into that. Is there more depth to be mined there or do you feel a loss of the other direction? What, you know, as these yearly iterations keep, keep happening, do you like where it's evolving or do you think, do you wish the evolution was a little broader? I love where it is right now because it, each of these games is very much tailored to four or five different types of people. So, for example, I only play, when it comes to Madden, all I care about is our online league, and I play two hours a week. I play, you know, a game Monday or Tuesday night and a game, you know, Thursday or Saturday night, and then I don't play Madden during the rest of the week. But there are other people who or like jump into ultimate team and do nothing but that. And then there are other people who just like to play their offline franchise. And for example, an MLB, the show, which is another stupendously great game. If you have a PlayStation four and you like baseball, even a little bit, you got to check out MLB, the show. What I do is to play that game. And I don't have an hour to play a single baseball game. So I use this feature called player lock that lets me say, you know what? I want to be Ioannis Cespedes for the first seven innings, take his three at bats in five minutes and then I'm going to pick up the game from like the seventh inning on, and I feel like I've, I've, I have the context for the game and I get it, but it only takes me 15 or 20 minutes to play. And there's 20 different combinations of that. So it's a very long-winded way of saying these, the guys who make these games really understand the people who purchase their games very well, and they give them tremendous depth. Uh, the reason we don't have sports arcade games anymore is because the market isn't there for them anymore from a cost-benefit perspective. Right. Not that there aren't people who wouldn't play the game, but, you know, Christian said, yeah, they made NFL Blitz and NBA Jam, two beloved franchises last gen, and and nobody bought them. And it is so expensive to make a a licensed sports video game. I mean, I don't know what what EA pays the NFL, but let's just say, for example, it's 30 million dollars a year in blood. Right. And yes. And and several people's firstborn. You have to you if you've spent 30 million dollars on a game before you spend hour one on development, like that is you have to. It's just it's so difficult to break even, much less be profitable. So people don't generally speaking, don't buy sports games that are not licensed, whether it's arcade or sim. So if you got to have a license you really got to pick your spots and, and pour most, if not all, of your assets into that. And that's the real reason you don't have those, you know, those arcade games. It's just the licensing is so expensive. But if it ain't licensed, nobody buys it. And as we saw last gen, even if it is, not enough people buy it. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Stats one in the chat brings up the uh, you, you know the the origin of Madden, the old sixteen bit Genesis days. And I think those of us that are, uh, you know, old enough to have played those games and loved them, part of the joy of those old Madden games is that you could win 72 to 3. You know, <laughs> you could you could beat the computer in a ridiculous, uneven manner, but it was a blast because you had, you know, a character who, you know, had 1,300 yards rushing. You know, Bo Jackson had 1,300 yards rushing and, it, and in one game, and it was like the greatest thing ever. And there's a joy to that over-the-top fantasy and the game just doesn't allow that anymore because it's balanced and it's sim like and it's creating a more authentic version of football um and i you know i kind of miss a little of that silliness and a little of that over the top you know football is just a flight of fancy rather than a a real authentic experience um so 
the 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 games these days though are so much more tailored to their existing audience yeah. like obviously they want to expand they want to get more sales and more sales but you know what i believe that they found is there's only so many people who will buy a sports game every single year and the if you get more of those people excited and give them more opportunities, not just to play different ways, but also to get more revenue out of them through things like Ultimate Team, right? That's that's how you're going to be successful, right? Yeah. And to Christian's point, it's a great example of, you know, they do a lot to make the game more accessible to people. But if you haven't played Madden in a few years, you're going to have Christian's uh, experience. And I'm sure if they had their druthers, they would, you know, have... 20 different ways to start the game but you know when you have nine or ten months to make a game every year and you've got you know plenty of resources but not unlimited resources you have to pick your spots and and that's again why i say fifa i'm fascinated to see how fifa does this year mm-hmm. i bet you a lot of people are going to go right to that story mode and a lot of people will experience fifa in a way that they never have and i hope it's good i hope people like it i don't know but It'll be really interesting to see sort of the initial experience that people have with that game versus Mad. Didn't like, NBA 2K do a story mode last year or the year before? They did, and they're coming back with one. The, the Spike Lee yeah. joint, which was, you know, maybe um, not <laughs> viewed as favorably for that story. It got a little over the top, um, <laughs> but I think it's a smart. I think that's a smart tutorial to package it as a narrative where you're doing, you know, because you're like for FIFA, you know, you're the kid coming up in the street, so. Go play, shoot some goals, or you know, pick up uh, football on the or soccer uh, on the street, and get it to the corner to get it over you know Billy's head or whatever. And you're kind of learning the fundamentals that way. And it, if it's done well, I think that is a really smart way to to package that. And then also the buildup, right? Because if you're young, you're starting with you know the low level clubs, and when you're on the pitch, now I got to use the correct football terms, right? When you're on the pitch playing with you know, people who aren't that good, you don't have to be great to start to have some success. And then you play a little bit more, you get a little better, but then you're playing at the next level up and you're moving up and things are a little more difficult. So that, that I think, again, if they, if they, if they get that mix right, could be a, a, a real gateway drug to FIFA, which, you know, there's a lot of people that are already taking that pill, but there's a whole lot more out there. I think that they're, they're looking to try to get to sign up. And my last kind of comment on sports games in general, I, I again, will uh, recommend EA Access if you are sports curious. You know, it's I think five dollars for one month. Dive in. This is the time to spend five bucks, uh, play ten hours of all of these games, and, and see if you like them. Um, but when they work, and I was playing on a rookie, but when they work, sports games I feel like have more fist pumping moments than almost any other genre of game. Yep. Because when you connect downfield on a slant, I apologize if I use wrong terms, on a bomb, or your guy jukes a guy, or you do the right stick to juke a guy, and he gets around it, and you break a run open for 12 yards, that feels awesome. And it feels awesome. I wanted <laughs> so bad to use a, the wrong term. When you when you use a, take a slant, <laughs> and then you, you the guy hits you with a bomb, and then you just chicken feather, it is the <laughs> most amazing thing. <laughs> I don't know. The slant might be wrong. I think slant's real. I think that's when you slant, cut across the field. Slant's real. That's a thing. But I wanted but, you to like do it's like a patently really wrong thing when you're like <laughs> when you like baloney hat and your 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 baloney has a first name and it's O S C A R and you and then <laughs> I just think that would be amazing. Uh, now I can't because you know what I'm trying to just 
make you happy. <laughs> but it's really fun, like when those things connect. The the only the other side of that coin, though, and I know it's part of the game, but there is nothing I think more maddening. Huh? You like that, Jeff? Than when one of your guys like fumbles or something, and you're like, come yeah, just like in oh real sports. Yeah, just like when you're watching your well, actual team and your guy fumbles, oh, and you're like, come right. on, hold the ball. You have but, one but, job. <laughs> then that's Frank Gore doing what he does best, cough the ball up. Um, You're making but, fun of a guy who's no longer on my team, but go ahead. Of course. <laughs> of course I am. Of course I am, Jeff. Come on. Um, uh, I want to. I, I know we've been talking about this for a long time, but I, I want to bring up one other thing, contextualize this. Oh, I did mess up. I meant post. Thank you, Vita Fury. Thank you. Well, you can break a slant for a, a deep, deep gain. You can have a uh, you can have a deep slant. That's fine. Anyway, um, but yeah, post is what you meant. Um, so here's the storm. <laughs> is it, I, I, what I've learned more this week. Uh, I will talk about Deus Ex in a second, but I did not play as much Deus Ex as I probably would have because I have a Here's of the Storm addiction. You guys, it is an addiction and I'm coming to terms with how addicted I am to that game. But, uh, one of the things that occurred to me while playing Heroes of the Storm this week is that, you know, we, we all know that MOBAs were birthed from the ashes of the real time strategy game. Warcraft three was modded and that's how defense of the ancients came to be, which, which really was the beginning of the entire MOBA, uh, genre. I like that you said defense of the ancients. Yeah, Dota. Right. That's what Dota stands for. I know, but no Uh, one, I feel like most people (laughs) don't know that. (laughs) Well, so obviously it came from that engine. It came from the Warcraft, Starcraft model of select units, click them. And now you were just controlling one unit. You're just controlling your hero and you were still clicking to move and you were doing all the things that you do in real time strategy games. But it occurred to me that, you know, part of the skill curve for a MOBA, for Heroes of the Storm or any other MOBA, is understanding how to click, understanding how to move your character, uh, A A moving, which is, you know, attack moving, clicking and hitting the attack key so that you're attacking as you're moving. Uh, Stutter stepping is a huge skill in all MOBAs, and it it is a skill. It is something that is very hard to learn and hard harder still to master and it's about where you click on the on the map in front of you where you're clicking on your character how you're clicking enemies it's literally just proficiency in clicking and it occurred to me that that's really not the most obvious way to control these games like if you were literally controlling your character with a controller it would be so much easier to stutter step and I remember playing the old. Um, what, what? Stutter step. Stutter stepping is never standing still. So if you stand still in a mobile, you you die, and uh, your character will auto attack if you click on an enemy. It'll auto attack, and a lot of the damage you'll be doing. There are certain characters that are better auto attack damagers and stuff. But basically, you want to. M- Continue attacking as much as possible, but never stand still. Because if you stand still, it's easy for other players to target you with damage. So you want to attack and move and attack and move and never stand in one spot. And so stutter stepping is you can be running away from someone and then, you know, shoot them and still be running away or attack and then slightly move, uh, you know, lower or higher than on the plane that you were standing on so that it's harder for them to target you. Uh, with with uh, their mm-hmm. big spells, um, 
Anyway, but if you controlled yourself with, with literally with a thumbstick, you could just constantly be moving and pushing buttons to, to shoot things. And I remember the old um, Lord of the Rings MOBA. I can't remember what it was called, but it was released on consoles. It was actually technically the very first MOBA I ever played. And you controlled your characters with, with controllers, and it made a whole lot of sense. The reason I'm bringing this up is because it occurs to me that like part of the skill challenge, the big hump of being good at these games, is just getting dexterously good with using a mouse. And I feel like it didn't have to be that way. And I wonder in the context of Madden, because Madden is an eSport, it really is, you know, not only just a sports sport, but it has become a competitive multiplayer game uh, that has tournaments and everything. Maybe, Rich, you can shed some light for me. What is the skill set of playing Madden different than the skill set of playing football? Of being is is the strategy of football and the strategy of Madden? The same, and I, right before you answer, I will say one other quick anecdote, which is I did a thing for GameSpot where I went and interviewed a real NASCAR driver, NASCAR and Xfinity series, Jeb, uh, Jeb, uh, what, I can't remember his last name, sorry. But anyway, uh, he was a real NASCAR driver, had never played um, Forza before, but the Forza just came out with a NASCAR expansion. And I get handed him a controller, not a wheel, not a steering wheel that would be like exactly what he does in a car. But I handed him a controller. He literally never played the game before. We put it on the unbeatable difficulty. It's literally called unbeatable. And he was smoking dudes. He was j- winning all the races by a lot because the skill set was exactly the same. Even though he was inputting differently, using a thumbstick and triggers instead of a you know gas pedal and steering wheel, he was still able to apply his skills one-to-one, and win, which I thought was so incredible. So I tee all that up to you, Rich, to school me in what the competitive scene of Madden is like and where that skill range sits. Well, the competitive scene for Madden is very alive and well, but it is not the same. Being yeah, It's not the same as football strategy yet. Now, it is closer than it ever has been, uh, but all you need, the only evidence you need is if you watch the Madden Championships from last year, or <clears throat> I guess technically this calendar year, but from, from last season around the Super Bowl, if you watch those games, those games don't look like football games. They, they look like video games, right? The, the players are calling the same two or three plays, and you know they have the same sort of strategy because they figured out that that is the way to win. However, as you guys know, EA has an entire uh, program in place to lift their sports games much higher in the esports world, and Madden and FIFA are at the forefront of that. So the you know, development team has been given a directive to make the, you know, bring those two things closer together. Because one of the reasons that Dota 2 and Heroes of the Storm and and uh, you know, games like those are so popular in the esports scene is because they're not played like video games. They're played like games, right? You're not gaming the system. You're not calling the same two or three plays. You actually have to read and react to what's happening. And so right now they're not, but they are getting closer, and EA wants them to become equivalent. I don't know that it can happen, um, but they're certainly going to do their best to bring them a lot closer. Whereas 
Forza, the reason that racing games um, are so much better at that, particularly the simulation ones, is that you know probably every four or five years, a lot of those systems are rebuilt from the ground up. And you're talking about real motor vehicle specs against real layouts of real tracks that are based upon actual, you know, the, the physics of, of, you know, velocity and downforce against turns and hills and stuff. Whereas, you know, with Madden FIFA, a lot of this stuff is really, you know, there's a lot of new stuff. But a lot of the code base that is at the core of this has been around for 10 or 15 or, or, or 20 years. So that's another reason you see the difference between some of the sim racing games and these, uh, you know, longstanding sports games. It's a really interesting concept to me because... Again, I'm comparing it to a MOBA that I play a lot and feels like a sport, is an eSport, right? But also feels to me, I always attribute it to the feeling I get playing pickup basketball on the blacktop, right? And the way that all of these companies, including Blizzard with Heroes of the Storm, deal with uh, their game and making it competitive is that they will take balance and make it a high priority. They will nerf things or buff things and try to create as balanced a system as possible. It seems interesting to me that if if the competitive Madden scene was real, if, if EA was interested in really solidifying it as an esport, if they took that approach and said, okay, well, there's only two or three plays that are being called, let's nerf those plays or buff other plays. And if they took an approach that was like a MOBA, that's what would happen, right? Those those systems would be adjusted so that there's more balance in the game. And I kind of feel like that would be a fascinating thing to watch, but that's not really what they're concerned with, right? Well, their first concern is the balance of the players because another thing that you know licensed sports games have is superstars, right? So if you're playing a basketball game and one team has LeBron James and Steph Curry and the other team has you know, the Brooklyn Nets, <laughs> you know, yeah. one team is going to destroy the other. So the first level of balance comes in actually normalizing the players. So that's why EA introduced draft champions last year in FIFA and Madden, which is this sort of way to have a online tournament style where there's an element of strategy where you get to pick seven or eight players, but the rest of the players are, you know, sort of just baseline players. And there's a strategy similar to how before a match of, you know, Dota or League of Legends, you sort of pick, you know, what you're going to do, and that gives you certain options. You know, with, with Draft Champions, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go after the quarterback and the cornerback and the linebacker. And the other guy might be like, well, I'm going after the running back and the tight end and the, and the, and the defensive tackle. So there's elements of strategy, but, you know, it's, it's about balancing and then based upon what choices you make, the ramifications of it. The second level of balancing is, is what you're talking about, Jeff, which is the actual plays. Perhaps it's limit the plays that can be called or you know, limit the effectiveness of certain things or increase the effectiveness of others. And those are very difficult to get right. And because the games like FIFA and Madden weren't built for that originally, it's incredibly resource-intensive to drag that out of them. But they're they're... Again, you got Peter Moore running the the esports division. They've got a directive. Like it's going to happen. It'll be fascinating to see the evolution of that because it's happening right in front of us. Yeah, I, I'm just. I'm sorry we're talking about this so much. I'm just fascinated by that whole process. And I think uh, in the chat, um, Azodio has a really interesting comment. He said, "Imagine if Madden was like Rocket League, where you get the feel of throwing a ball." Like you get the feel of making a good kick and timing in Rocket League. Rocket League is more soccer than FIFA, in my opinion. It feels like it feels to play soccer. 
Couldn't agree more. And that's why Rocket League is a great esports title. It was built, and it's not, you know, it's not a 15 or 20 year old game, right? It was built with a particular purpose. And I don't know that esports was its purpose, but certainly, you know, Rocket League, it doesn't matter what team you're on, right? It doesn't matter what players you have, it's all about skill. And so, you know, to, to get that out of a traditional licensed game is, you know, it's a different flavor. Yeah, that's where I think the best esports version of football would be, you know, sports ball. I think there's a game called sports ball, but it'd be that thing. It'd be the essence of football, but everybody dialed down and everybody's a level playing field. Like, you know, you can't patch Steph Curry. That's just how he is. Or, you know, LeBron, <laughs> cheesy Bob, LeBron's overpowered. Please nerf. Um, you know, if you're doing this licensed thing, you're going to run into those problems. But if you could distill what is American football and, and, and esport it up, um, I think that's the that's the key for that. Whereas Madden will never will never be that. But I do think it's interesting too, Jeff. Your point. You see people come out of like the Gran Turismo Academy too. This is the other way, right? Where they learn via video game, and then there are now professional race car drivers that trained uh, that excelled at the video game. I don't think there's been a single story of the best Madden player, you know, coaching <laughs> at Louisville or something right like no. uh, auburn's new head coach is crazy sal 14 and he's like what <laughs> it's interesting because it is it is a different skill set but they haven't quite leaned all the way into making it an esport because they need to have um colin kaepernick or whoever the player is in the game represented as he's represented too soon christian too soon on the kaepernick reference i'm um, a fan now yeah <laughs> well he's not going to be on the team in a week so <laughs> Um, so Deus Ex real quick. It's very good. <laughs> it's very good. It's gorgeous. I'm sure, I'm sure people are going to be very depressed that they're like, I tuned into this episode to hear about Deus Ex and I'm like, we talked about Madden for an hour. But, uh, I, you know, I thought that was a really fun and interesting, fascinating topic. And Deus Ex is, it's very good. Uh, I really loved the last one, which was called what guys? What was it called? Oh, Mankind Divided. Wasn't that this one? <laughs> what's what's this one then? Oh, race racing for the future. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I really loved that last one. I I loved it. I it, I played all the way through it. Spent a lot of time doing side missions, leveling my guy. I know a lot of people complained about the boss battles. The boss battles weren't good in that in that game, but I didn't mind them. And it, it's one of the very few games that I absolutely loved stealthing in uh, Deus Ex makes stealth exactly how I like it to be, which makes it me feel empowered rather than vulnerable, uh, rather than worried all the time about guys discovering you. You just feel like a superhuman who can, you know, do whatever he wants without anybody noticing. It's super cool. Human Revolution, the entire chat room has. Human Revolution. Thank was you. the first one. Was the first one. Yeah, Mankind Divided is this one. Human Revolution. So how... Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. So how what? I've heard, and I have not played this new one, but the first one, or the first one of this trilogy or whatever, Human Revolution, felt to me like um, loosely connected set pieces or levels, and I've heard that this one is a little more hubby, and you kind of go out and you still maybe have that unique level experience, but they've kind of structured how the storytelling or how you move around. Like in Human Revolution, you would straight up get into a helicopter, fly somewhere else, land, and then you're in a building in this city, and now you're in a building in this city. How does this... How does this game handle that? Is it better or worse? Uh, it, it is. It is. I think a little more interesting. Um, for a long time, I think years ago on Weekend Confirmed, I pitched this idea of like building just a city block, but making the simulation of that city block super dense 
and and you know just being like, well, what if instead of a huge open world, it was like just a super super dense small area that has people that go to work and like there's a stapler and that's where staplers hang out, you know, on your on desks and like everything is exactly how it would really be in the real world. Super 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 everything has physics, you know. Uh, they don't go that far here, but it's much more like that. It's more like there's – it's a small – it's not a huge open world, but it's a small uh, city block or you know square city block or smaller area. But it feels like there's lots of interesting stuff there. And you, you – know, other areas are connected via subway trains and stuff. But you basically can do a lot of things within a very small area of actual sort of city – but it's not as not as um, what what you're describing from from um, human, human revolution. revolution, which is you know you go to a place, you do that thing, and then you go to the next place. This much I mean, much more feels like you said like a hub or like you know everything is sort of happening in and around these these areas, and it's more about what you discover in them and finding new people to give you quests and all that stuff. Hmm. I, th- I tweeted this out a couple of days ago. I think it's interesting, and maybe it's just my own perception, but I feel like Hitman, the Tomb Raider games, this game, and Human Revolution before it, I feel like Square Enix or Eidos have released some incredible games that for whatever reason don't get the hype or props they deserve or that other games you know, rated 85 and up would seem to get. And I feel like these games kind of come out and people are like, yeah, you know, it's cool. And then it kind of goes away. And then it's like, oh my God, a new Halo's coming. A new Uncharted's coming. Let's get, let's get it going. And, and then like these teams are consistently making really, really awesome games. Yeah. Um, G Wizard in the chat says, it's pretty much the same as Human Revolution, only the hub worlds are much more fully realized. You know, maybe I'm not remembering Human Revolution as well, but... Uh, this one does – it feels more like you're in actual places rather than you're in a level of a video game. And it's not that you're in actual places. It's more like there's just more stuff to see and do on your way to the mission you know, or mm-hmm. around the mission. It feels more lived in and there's – it's got more diversity of, of things. Um, but also you know, what I love about these Deus Ex games uh, in the modern version of them is how it incentivizes – leveling and it incentivizes uh specializing or or diversifying your abilities it's it gives you reasons to have all the abilities that you want you know i want to be super strong so i can move those boxes out of the way so i can go behind that door because what's behind that door i'm you know it has these little carrots on sticks that i the same reason i would want to be super strong is to move some boxes (laughs) yeah well there's big heavy boxes in front of that door i want to go through that door uh or you know like there's all kinds of combat stuff and you can put you know points into combat skills and be cool combat guy, but you can also be awesome stealth guy and just avoid it or be awesome hacking guy. And I like the way hacking works in the Deus Ex world because it's actually a fun little mini game that it incentivizes you to get better at and put points in to, to do, you know, cool things. So, you know, it prides itself on every problem has three solutions, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, you're always going, well, maybe it would be more fun to do that solution or maybe it'd be cool to be really, really powerful with this one avenue of attack um it's a it's beautiful the engine is gorgeous i'm playing on pc top 15 of the year is this maybe going to sneak into game of the year contention top five contention it's a really really good year for games i know Um, that's why i'm asking it seems like you really like this game is it squeaking in there it's good um i don't know i don't know i i have to play a lot more of it as i said i'm addicted to (laughs) 
There's another game where I'm like, I, only, I can play for 20 minutes and they'll be done. And then like four matches later, I'm like, I played for two hours. <laughs> I hate myself. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I'm sending a courier way and it's coming in today to two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Um, I just want to answer a question. Somebody sent a question to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, ben from San Diego. Um, I know we're going crazy long, but um, I wanted to answer this question. He says, hey, guys, uh, first, I want to say you're awesome. I'm a relatively new listener, but I'm loving it. I'm not as much of a gamer as I'd like to be, but I'm getting more into it. Jeff, keep doing your VR time, despite what the haters say. I've never played anything in VR, but I still get a great deal out of you guys talking about it, and I look forward to trying it someday soon. Anyway, question time. I'm in the process of getting new furniture, and I was curious if you had any thoughts on the best way to store your PS4. Again, I'm a little bit of a noob, so this might be a really easy answer, or it might not. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts were horizontal, on its side, with a cooling system, without a cooling system, on top of an entertainment shelf thingy, in one of the compartments, etc. The building I live in is pretty warm, and it can get a little dusty at times. The reason I'm asking is because my PS3 burned out last year, and now I'm super paranoid about the PS4. Any comments you both might have would be greatly appreciated. So, Rich, do you have a storage solution for consoles? Uh, Lots of room around it and behind it. Uh, I've got uh, I've got my video game consoles up in my office, and I've got uh, uh, let's see, what do I have in there? I got my Wii U, my PS4, my Xbox One, my Xbox 360, my PS3, all still there. But it's like one of those. It's like you know, um, you know the the TV the sits on top of it, and then below it, you know, you got three or four different shelves, and the shelves are open to the back. Because, um, you know, I got the launch day PS4, <clears throat> and that thing makes a lot of noise and sends a lot of hot, a- hot air out. So I've never gone vertical. I've always gone horizontal and just give it room in front and in back so that it can, it can ventilate. That, that's the, the most important thing from my perspective. Yeah, mine is, um, mine is in a little cubby, and it doesn't have tons of room around it, but I haven't yet to have any issues with my PS4. What about you, Christian? Yeah, I prefer, you know, horizontal and make sure that both parties are consenting and you have plenty of room to work. You know, yeah. you don't want to <laughs> you don't be, want to overheat. Yeah, right. You got to have um yes, give it space. I prefer horizontal because I feel like that's how most entertainment centers are designed. Give it space and I think those aftermarket coolers are a waste of money and silly. Enough space, uh, you know, maybe get a condensed air from a reasonable distance. Don't put that condensed air right up near there, but, you know, blow out some dust. It will collect some dust and hope it works and hope it has a nice long life. Some of them burn out. It's, it's a, it, it happens, right? It happens. But give it space, set it up however you want to set it up, and don't uh, make sure the vents have plenty of room to breathe. Cool. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's move on and talk a little VR because, you know, obviously people writing in want to hear about it. Christian, you've been playing one of my favorite VR games this week. Uh, Are you enjoying Edge of Nowhere? It is awesome. Again, I, I, I say it probably too often, and I apologize for that. But it is up on my YouTube, which is my name, 713, and on my Twitch, blah, 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 but maybe the first two hours of me playing it. And when I played the first 10 minutes or whatever at your house when you got your retail Oculus, I was like, this is my kind of game. Um, it's the Uncharted, it's the Tomb Raider, it's that third-person swashbuckling, climbing, adventuring game. 
And I remember you told me about it at E3 maybe two years ago and you played it. And you're like, it's third person and it's VR and, you, you know, you jump over these cliffs and it's incredible. And I remember thinking, like, that's so dumb. Why would you do that in VR? Like, how does that change the experience? But it's really, really phenomenal. It's made by Insomniac Games and graphically it's great. It's not the best graphics ever. It's not Uncharted 4, but... You know, it feels weird to say the caveat for VR, but when you're in the headset playing in VR, they designed, I think, really smartly for what are potential graphical limitations in that it's in a, you're in the Antarctic or, you know, it's a snow world. And so there's that natural, there's fog and there's snow and there's a lot of white and it's not a lush, rich jungle that they're trying to render every, all of the time. And, you know, the story, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm getting close to the end. The, the story and the enemy I, I enemy AI routines maybe aren't the smartest or the sharpest ever. But when you're sitting there in the goggles, in this world, experiencing it, it is really, really, really cool. Um, my favorite moments have been the way that in the big set piece games like Tomb Raider and Uncharted, you know, you'll do a cool jump and the camera will pan out for you and be like, look at the awesome thing you did. In this game with your head as the camera, it never does that, but you do it naturally because you do a jump and then you're going to look to the right. Um, I wish you, I'm gesturing so much right now. <laughs> you look to the right to kind of push your eyes where you're going to go next or to see if there's an enemy that way. And as you look that way, because you're controlling, you know, the Mario Kart cameraman in the cloud, you turn and you see this epic vista ahead of you. And you're like, oh, whoa, this is going to be awesome. Or you you jump and you do the Tomb Raider, put your ice pick in the thing. And as you jump, you know, you look down and you're like, oh, crap, why did I look down? <laughs> like, for real, you're like, why did I look down? Don't look down. And you get this. What about riding, riding a rope down? Th- riding a rope as you descend deeper into the chasm is the coolest thing in that game, in my opinion. That was an awesome, that was an awesome moment. For me, the, the best was there's, there's a, a bunch a, of them. A, yeah, a fairly long, you're on a rock wall, ice wall, and you j- leap to another one, and you at least I barely made it. And to me, that was like, oh, and the first time uh, an enemy came up from behind you, you don't have a radar, and you get into these worlds with these like mutants or whatever are kind of spawning around you. And uh, 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 I saw it earlier, it was a big one, and I know where it came from, but it was like on the ceiling, and then it dropped down behind me and jumped, and I heard it, and I turned around, and like as I turn, it's like right there in my face, because I'm literally turning around. I was like, oh, dude, you got me. <laughs> yeah. And it does cool insanity effect, you know, a la inspiration from Eternal Darkness with kind of stuff with like, who are you? What's happening? Um, and like I said, the story is not the best in the world, but those moments that it gives you the cool, you're in a classroom. Just kidding. You're not. Um, and you're in that world. It's weird for me to think this. I wouldn't have thought this a couple of years ago, but third person VR might be the selling point of VR, <laughs> which seems weird. Well, I think until until those touch controllers come out for you, I think you're going to have a different opinion once you're not using an actual controller. But I, I agree, it, it it really works. And I can't wait for you to get to the end because I think the game continues to surprise and up the ante all the way to the end. And there's some really awesome stuff that you haven't referenced yet. So I don't think you've seen it yet because you would reference it because it's amazing. Yeah. Maybe four or no, I heard it's like four to six hours on maybe yeah. like three and a half. It, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I will finish the game. A lot of VR games. I'm like, this is great. And then I'm like, what's the next experience? This game. I, I want to sit down and play. Yeah. It's so good. So good. Um, I'm playing a, or this week I played a game that is, I don't know if it's even out yet, but a, 
listener of the show sent it, said that he and his team are working on it and wanted us to try it. As Christian has said on many previous episodes, we're always interested in stuff that listeners are working on. We'd love to highlight that. So this is a game, a VR game for Vive called To the Top, and it's awesome. I'm so glad it, to say that it is awesome. Uh, very much a alpha product, very much a demo at this point, uh, only two levels yet, but it's a climbing game with some very, very clever mechanics. Uh, it is a climbing game where you climb, you know, there's the climb, which is out on, on Oculus, um, which is very much a real world sort of, you know, in lush, amazing environments. This is a climbing game that's more like uh, Wipeout on TV or something, some kind of crazy, abstract, insane world, not world, but uh, contraption that you're trying to scale. And there are certain colored objects that you can grab onto, and you can grab onto anywhere on them as long as they're that blue color. And you have your two Vive controllers in your hand, and you reach out and grab things, and you're not, it's not restricted to like, uh, human arm length. You, you, you kind of find the length that it's restricted to, but you don't see representations of arms or anything. You just have these hands that can kind of shoot out a, a ways in front of you. But you get, the feel, you get the feel of it pretty quickly. There are certain objects that you can just, you know, grab both hands onto and it'll shoot you forward. So there's kind of like, like power-ups in that way. Where, and you're, it's, by the way, it's a race. So you're trying to get through this course as quickly as you can. But the coolest thing is if, you know, you can go hand over hand, you can grab onto a blue th- node here and then reach up to the next b- blue node and you're physically doing it with your two hands and you're climbing and it's really cool. But then if you put two hands on something and, and you're, you know, you, you reach out with your hand and you pull the trigger to sort of grab it. Well, if you have two hands grabbing onto something and then you look away from what you're looking at, you look in a direction and then you release both of your hands you jump in the direction you're looking. So you, do, you end up doing these amazing leaps of faith where you're like, I'm grabbing on with both hands and now I'm letting go and leaping and it works so well. No nausea, no weird feeling of, uh, for some reason it works. And, I've, and you get your, into your, these crazy situations where you're like dangling hundreds of feet in the air and you make, you decide you're gonna leap for the, uh, like a pole that's out in front of you that's blue that you can grab. You're trying to figure out your way through these places because it's up and around and over and, oh, it's so neat. Again, this is very much an alpha, only two levels so far, but what a cool system of movement they figured out that really, really works in VR and creates a wildly unique experience. That sounds awesome. I think something like a... a version of a mirror's edge game like that could work where obviously i you wouldn't be running as fast as you would in current mirror's edge but something where you get to a position then you look for the thing and then occasionally you do these awesome incredible acrobatic moves but other stuff is kind of climbing and scaling and that's you know the world you're living in i think could be incredible yeah it's um it's really something neat and and again i don't know how they do it that i didn't i didn't feel weird or or dizzy or any in any way but uh, it, it didn't. It was great. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's move on and carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now. Right now. All right, guys. Um, 
Rich, you you wrote down here in the show notes that uh, your household is uh, jamming on the Uno. Yes. Yeah, we uh, have ferocious Uno battles between my wife, my son, and I. Um, <clears throat> he's nine, and uh, he's gotten to the point where I used to let him win, and now I don't, and uh, <laughs> so it causes problems. But, you know, Uno is just one of those games. I know it's not your a, a traditional, well, it's not a board game at all, but it's just one of those games that, you know, it, it can be played almost anytime, anywhere. And there's a lot of different variants that you can have. But it's just so fun. And it causes so many laughs and so many, um, you know, controversies and things like that. So it's it's really just something that when we have a few moments, we'll bust it out. And, and we'll wind up playing for an hour or two without even realizing it. So it's... Just a shout out to Uno, a game that I yeah. played when I was a kid, and now I play with my son, and, and it's just it's great. And two people, three people, four people, however many you got, it's just it's it's a lot of fun. Uno is awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, Uno is awesome. You should also check out if you want another game that's similar to that. That's sort of low touch and easy to explain, and you can play it with a kid, and it kind of has some numbers. Uh, you know, you maybe learn. I guess a nine year old knows numbers pretty well, but um, it's a game called No Thanks. I think you would dig that. It's a it's a game about putting uh, putting cards in order, and uh, you want to get the lowest score possible. So if you have these these cards with numbers on them, that's how much score you'll have at the end of the game. But if you have them in sequence in your hand, you only score the lowest number of the sequence. So if you have like 22, 23, 24, 25 all in your hand, you only score 22. So the way the game is played is uh, people are putting cards down, and, and you can either take a card... Or place a chit that you have in your hand. You have a little little chip, a little red chip the game comes with. Place a chip onto the card if you don't want to take it. And the chips at the end of the game are negative one point. So they're good. They're good for you because they reduce your score. But you give up a chip if you don't want to take that card. But if, a bun- if, the, if you go around and around and around and nobody wants that card, after a while it builds up a whole bunch of chips. So it becomes more valuable for you to take that card because it will you know basically negate the the points that you're taking into your hand also if you can figure out a way to get a sequence of cards in your hand then you don't necessarily not want that number because you you would complete that sequence and then you have to sort of keep track of what cards other people are taking because maybe you can disrupt sequences that they're working on really cool game really simple you can play it anywhere i once brought it to Disneyland to play in line. Uh, we waited overnight to ride the new Star Tours one time, and I brought No Thanks, and, and we played it in line with strangers, and it was a blast. Nice. Uh, and it's inexpensive. Um, really cool game. It's called No Thanks. Awesome. I wrote that down. I will check that out for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm currently planning, you know, any day now my wife will go into labor. And she said, why don't we bring some games to play at the hospital while we're waiting around? Because it'll be hours and hours and hours of time. And I, the whole first part of... Maybe. Hmm? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, Estelle was like, Amanda got up. And she's like, you know, took our dog on a walk. She's like, hey, we're going. And we went. She swore at one person jaywalking because we were ready to go. And we got there and, hello, baby. <laughs> so you're saying the process of having a baby is swear at a person jaywalking. Well, take your dog on a walk. Have a baby. Yep, swear at person jaywalking, get in hospital room, have baby. Yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, I I was in a lot of pain. Um, <laughs> like a yeah. chair I was sitting in wasn't that comfortable, but you know, my <laughs> That's wife. Rough. That's rough for you. That's yeah. rough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my wife is um, 
telling me to, you know, there's the first part of, of labor, they say, is distraction. So she said, bring some games uh, into, the, into the hospital. And so I have a bag packed of games. And Monopoly Deal, which we talked about a while back, I m- misnamed. But I bring in that because I was like, when people talked about it, I was like, I haven't played that in a while. I'm going to bring that. It's super easy and compact. Um, and I'm going to bring No Thanks. Because, I love uh, you, Jeff. Why? I love that your hospital baby go bag consists of probably of a backpack uh, computer and a VR headset <laughs> and then a bag full of board games. And then the you're going to get there. You're going to get there and your wife's going to be like, okay, where's the car seat to take <laughs> baby Kyla home? And you'll be like, I have a Oops. virtual car seat. <laughs> yeah. The car seat. <laughs> <laughs> it racks in on Jeff's eyes. Oh, I'd be like, honey, I... I swore at the jaywalker. What else do you want from me? <laughs> I ran I know, a playbook. You just, won, you just won Ticket to Ride. What else do we need? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let's wrap up this episode. Uh, and uh, we'll definitely have a parting gift for you. For, so stick around for that. But uh, Rich Grisham, thanks so much for stopping by and hanging out with us. Oh, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Again, this is I listen to two shows about video games a week, every single week without fail. DLC is one, Player One Podcast is the other. So this is a huge thrill. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely our pleasure. And where can people uh, talk, hear about the things you're doing and, and get the games that you're working on and all that stuff? Sure. So uh, I work for Out of the Park Developments. Uh, we make Out of the Park Baseball 17 and Franchise Hockey Manager 2. Uh, you can go to outoftheparkdevelopments.com to get Out of the Park Baseball. There's a special DLC code, DLC17, to get you 10% off. Um, Out of the Park 17 is right now, as we speak, tied for the lead of the best PC game of 2016 on Metacritic. So we're wow. very proud of that. That's yes. awesome. Amazing. Very proud What's of it that. tied with? Uh, it is tied with The Witcher Blood and Wine. As a Look at that. Your game is equally high regarded <laughs> as The Witcher. That's amazing. It is. And uh, it's kudos to the team who make it. I wish I could take any credit whatsoever for that, but I can't. Uh, well, actually, no. Mark from Marketing whispering in my ear, I should be taking mm-hmm. all the credit. Okay, yes. I'm taking all the credit. Um, so, yeah, go check that out. And we have a big announcement on September 16th about our next hockey game. It is, well, it's a big announcement for us. It involves something that is going to be very exciting to, to, to fans of the game, something that's going to add a lot of legitimacy to our title, and I'll, I'll leave it at that because oh, now my squids. lawyers are advising me to, to stop talking. So go check that out. Thank you very much for, uh, for letting me uh, mention that. Cool. Christian, what about you? What do you got going on? Uh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is always Twitter, at Spicer. Uh, I'm trying to think where I am. I go out of town soon, but I, golly, you think I'd be... I do this every week, Jeff. You think I'd be prepared where I'm going to be, but I don't know. Um, but the I'm ramping up to the next album recording, which is might seem far away, but November 15th in San Diego is the plan. So I'm... Um, putting the baby steps and working on the order and making sure that this thing works as a long cohesive whole and not 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there and stuff like that. That's what's happening in, in the stand-up world. But Twitter's the best way to find out about shows. And um, I do a parenting podcast with Chris Quintos called Department of Parenting. Episodes come out Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we are, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this because she's not here to tell me not to, but we uh, have some cool, we're going to be doing some live video and stuff like that. I think we're going to use Facebook Live um, but we've kind of put the work together to create the background and create the content, the type of things we'll be talking about through that, that will be different and separate from the podcast, but you can find all that at uh, facebook.com slash department of parenting. When we start doing that stuff 
And um, yeah, follow me on Twitch, YouTube, stuff like that. I have uh, I'm in pre-production. I'm meeting with the director and some people this week for the next um, bigger project, a la marriages that I have coming down the pipeline. So good, awesome. good, fun stuff. What about you? I always have the Slash Filmcast over at SlashFilmcast.com. This week uh, we're talking about Don't Breathe, which is a movie that should be on your radar big time. Uh, and we did a special bonus episode about the last episode of uh, of Night Of, which oh, uh, I will just say the end of right now for Christian. <laughs> stop. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, and uh, also we have concerns at wehaveconcerns.com. Always fun. Some great episodes coming up. Uh, 20 minutes of your day. Check it out. It's fun. I guarantee at least one laugh for wehaveconcerns.com. I'm noticing uh, in the chat some people are pointing out that uh, it looks like um, Gene Wilder passed away. Just just word of that hitting the internet. Um, how sad. Uh, Gene Wilder. We are the dreamers. We are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. Uh, Willy Wonka himself. Sounds like sad sad news. Um, but let's, uh, let's give the people something positive to get them through the week. Let's start with a, um, what is it called, guys? Parting, Parting gift. gift. Parting gift. <laughs> I was too sad. I was too sad about Willy Wonka. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Rich, do you have a parting gift to help people get through their week? Sure. A uh, couple of quickies. One of them actually came from you, Jeff, a parting gift that you gave, I don't know, probably about a year ago, but it was the HBO show Togetherness. I yeah. uh, took me a little while, but I actually watched that over the course of the last month or so. And it's kind of perfect for, not, I wouldn't say binge watching, but it's certainly perfect for, okay, now I know that this is done and I can watch it sort of at my own pace. I don't know that I would have sort of kept up with it if I waited every single week for an episode, but it's just a really almost mellow, low-key show that explores relationships and families and, and stuff in a way that is I don't see very often on on you know in, in entertainment. So thanks for that recommendation. So I will recommend that as well. And then high on the list of things that absolutely nobody needs but is incredibly fun. Um, my wife's birthday was this past week, and I bought her the Amazon Echo. Yeah. Um, and it is so fun. Again, nobody needs it. It you can <laughs> you can live a thousand lifetimes and never have it, and you'll be fine. But oh my gosh, it's so fun talking to Alexa, asking her to tell you a joke or what the weather's going to be, or just play a song or play a, an artist that I like, and you know, order some paper towels. Uh, I, I didn't realize how fun it was going to be. Now I want one for myself for upstairs in the office. So that's a whole other situation. But you know, if you know, if if a couple hundred dollars all in is 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 not something that's going to set you back, and you want to get yourself something fun or a gift for, you know, a, a loved one or somebody, the Amazon Echo, highly recommended. Tons of fun. Love it. Yeah, Christian and I both have have an Echo, and uh, I agree. I agree. It's completely unnecessary, but holy cool. Uh, yeah, lots lots of lots of lots of fun with the Echo. Um, Christian, how about you? you? Got a parting gift? Well, you have sung the Midnight Praises, the band. Their new album is out, and I actually it's so met. Good, it's so good. I I hung out with uh, Tim last this past week, which was he's a great guy, which is always fun when there's like someone whose art you love ends up also being really cool. You're like, oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> this is nice. But if you enjoyed that and you 
you know, this is going to sound like a, a left turn, but I promise you it is not. Um, the Midnight is, you know, it's an 80s synth, uh, sax, really cool, really, really so great. great. It's so great. Their album is called Endless Summer. And yes. the whole album is phenomenal. I spent all weekend listening to it. It's so good. It really is. And you should definitely listen to that if you have not already. But if you want something else, if you've listened to that four times in your road trip, you want something else. I sincerely believe that Carly Rae Jespin does not get the recognition she deserves for bubblegum pop. Her album last year, Emotion, um, well-reviewed, underperformed. She has now released B-sides. Apparently she had over like 100 tracks or something like that recorded for Emotion. And this is an eight-track Carly Rae Jespin Emotion, the B-sides, I believe it is called, in full. And it has these eight songs lean more into that 80s synth kind of vibe. So if you're jamming on the midnight and you want something else to listen to, it is bubblegum pop at its best. Not its very best, maybe, but up there. It is really, really, really good. If it's not too late to suggest an album of the summer, it might be this. Well, I'm going to stick with that whole 80s uh, vibe that you're laying down, Christian. Um because whatever you're doing, wherever you're, wherever you are right now, you need to see Sing Street. Rent it. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon streaming. It is the best. It might be my favorite movie of the year. Uh, this is a movie by the same guy that did the, the movie Once, if you guys have seen that movie, which is great. Uh, but uh, this is a movie that takes place in 1985. It's a group of kids at a kind of oppressive religious school that decide they're going to make a band they're going to be a band and uh they are influenced by all of the 80s music that's around them and it's joyous and heartwarming and wonderful sing street see it immediately if not sooner because it is it's it's great it's great and the music and it's phenomenal so uh dip dip fully into the 80s vibe and watch sing street all right guys That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Rich Grisham and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room. Man, great group this week. Really fun, uh, interesting commentary as we were talking along here. Uh, Thanks to all of you who have downloaded this show, and we really appreciate when you rate us highly on your platform of choice or recommend us to a friend. Uh, Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, Zero Star, We will be back next week with more. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.